My good people, greetings, what is happening, what is going on, how are we feeling? Hope you came off a great, restful, relaxing, but also very productive weekend. And here we are to kick off another Monday, another week, the final week of June. That's right, July is just about here. Halfway of 2019 is just about complete, but it wouldn't be complete if I didn't give you the latest and greatest of what goes on in the world of sports here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this content and welcome aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode one to now 77, I welcome you guys back again, Monday, June the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Here's what we have on tap. We'll get into the NBA draft or recap that. Obviously, the Knicks made their pick with RJ Barrett. Lots of wheeling and dealing. I'll also get into the Celtics and their offseason. Everybody knows I'm a huge Celtic fan and I promise I won't make it a whole Celtic podcast, but just think about this. A year ago this time, everybody was thinking that the Celtics would have been the representative of the Eastern Conference in this past NBA Finals. And right now, with the way the team is constructed, it looks like they could be a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. So we'll get into that. Also, all the baseball, everything that's taken place with the Mets, what a week that they had, whether it's firing their pitching coach and their bullpen coach and everything that happened in Wrigley yesterday as they're trying to go for a series road win for the first time since April 1st to the 3rd when they played the Marlins. That's right. Yankees getting players back as far as Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, etc. Also a lot of other baseball news and notes to get to. But before we kick into all that, I'm going to start off with the Dead Zone Part 2. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, especially right after the Super Bowl, that was the Sports Dead Zone Part 1 where... You pretty much don't have a lot of action between February the, we'll say, 5th and the Thursday tip-off of March Madness. And I understand people are going to say, well, Jay Reels, you have the basketball season, you have college basketball, you have hockey. Understood. But at the same time, with all the craziness that goes on with the winter sports, especially when you have football and all the postseason, NFL playoffs, Super Bowl, You have the baseball playoffs that go well into October. And obviously all the seasons kick up then. But it really starts to slow down as far as the sports world is concerned when you have that six-week period from, like I said, early February to mid-March. And then with March Madness, it pretty much kicks off baseball just a couple weeks after that. And then to me, April is the best sports month of the year. So now here we are at to what I think is the Sports Dead Zone Part 2, where now... You have champions in the NHL and NBA. You have three of the four major golf tournaments out of the way. You only have the British Open, which is next month. Football right now is going to stay and remain quiet up until late July, which is a month from now to think football. Oh, God, I can't even think about that right now. So with those sports out of the way and with football, although in the future, but not, you know, it's in the distant future. You still have some time. You really start getting into the football, I guess, with the exhibition season, which I could care less with the preseason football. I know so many people get amped up. Oh, you ready for football? Football's back. No, football's back on that first Thursday in September. Because if anybody watches preseason football, then not only are you out of your minds, but you got to find something else to do. And this comes from a guy who has watched sports since birth. I cannot get into preseason football. The reason why it becomes news is because you get injuries. You'll have your cuts. So when you get into August, that's when football will start to pick up and the sports landscape will start to increase as we 
lead into another football season, which will be the 100th of the NFL this coming September. So I get you have the free agency with the NBA, which seems to be round the clock. That's going to kick up a week from today, and we'll have a lot to talk about then. And those few days right after July 1st. Same for the NHL, because you have their free agency period that starts at that time. But to me, this is when it comes to games, because that's what it's all about. We could talk about trades. We could talk about rumors of all types, teams relocating like the Rays with their possible report to Montreal, and I'll get into that later on. That's all well and good. But if it wasn't for the games itself, what would be there to talk about? Because at the end of the day, it's about who wins and who loses. So the only sport that's pretty much in town right now is baseball. We'll have a lot to discuss throughout the rest of the summer. In fact, I'm going to kick off the program in just a minute in reference to that. But between now and we'll say early August, it is going to be quiet on the games front. We understand there's always going to be some news and notes about something or about anything. Like I said, free agency, trades, rumors, speculation, etc. We're always going to have that, and thank goodness for that. But when it comes to actually watching games, is anybody into the college baseball World Series? I don't even, I'm not into that. I've never been into that. I don't even know who won. I don't even know if it's still going on. I could care less. I know you have the Women's World Cup that's taking place in France. For those who are interested in that. Sorry, not me. And whatever else that may be going on that people could shake a stick at and say, hey, what about this, Jay Reels? What about that? Or, you know, Wimbledon is actually coming up, I believe, next week it starts, right? I should know that. I mean, it may, actually may start today because usually Wimbledon is late June into July. So if it starts today, my apologies, I should have known that. But we know that that's around the corner. If it's not starting today, it's probably starting sometime next week. They may have pushed it up a week considering that the French Open felt like it just finished uh, three minutes ago. So, with all that being said, people, we're going to go through this dead zone together. Before you know it, football will come up. We'll start getting into that. We'll have all the NBA stuff in between and tons of baseball to discuss, which will kick us off right here, right now. And before I get to the Mets, because everybody knows I'm a huge Mets fan, I'm going to start with the Yankees, only because the Yankees have certainly been riding high. They're getting all their pieces back in the mix. And as we wake up today at 49-28, and Crazy as this may sound, even with all the injuries, everything that they've transpired over the first, what is it now, 77 games of this season, they don't have the best record in the AL. That belongs to the Minnesota Twins, surprisingly for some people. But the Yankees certainly are in the driver's seat to surpass the Twins and make that top spot of the AL because I'm sure Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman and company are looking at trying to get that best record overall, A, certainly to avoid the wild card, and B, to have not only the first round of the division series come through their building, but also the ALCS for that matter. And I get that that's a long time between now and the first week of October, without question. Anything could happen. We know about trades, injuries. (laughs) Yankees have had plenty. But when you wake up today and you look at and see how they've performed here over the first 77 games, and we know it's not a secret. We're just going to take it back to this last week. As they start to get their big guns in the lineup, whether that's Giancarlo Stanton on Tuesday when they face the Rays, or Aaron Judge this past Friday when they face the Houston Astros, 
you know that this team is probably going to get ready to take off knowing that they have a four and a half game lead on the Rays, which they embarrassed last week in those first three games. I mean, completely embarrassed. And we know the Rays, although they're a good team, they're a team that will probably win 90 games, but nobody's going to think of them as a dark horse or even a team that could certainly make some hay in the American League. Right, will they, will they be good over the course of 162? Barring any type of major health scares or injuries that may come arise, you know, that may arise throughout the course of a season? Of course not. All their ducks have to be in the road to probably get to 90 wins, let alone make some hay in the American League. But right now, with that four and a half game lead in the AL East, with the Red Sox nine in the loss, but eight behind the top spot. They're in the division. The Yankees right now could certainly not put their feet up and rest by any stretch, but could look at this upcoming stretch of games here leading into the All-Star break as not necessarily a test, but as a way to kind of take a big exhale knowing that just about everybody's back this side of Luis Severino and, of course, Domingo Herman. We haven't heard from him in quite some time with his injury. But just look at the past week. We talked about this two weeks ago when the Yankees were facing both the Rays and the Astros here in this week. And when you come out 6-1, and one, like I said, they completely dismantled the Rays. No matter how you shake it, they just, especially on that final game, when they beat them 12-1, to one, you know, Tanaka had the three-hit shutout to kick off the series. What could you say about DJ LeMahieu? We've talked about it time and time again. Even Cameron Mabin, to the point where a lot of people thought, with Judge coming back, that he may be sent down or somehow, some way. I'm not going to say DFA'd, but be the odd man out. Instead, they send down Nestor Cortez Jr., the relief pitcher. So they keep Maven, and Maven is certainly continuing to pay dividends in this lineup. Even with Stanton back on Tuesday and bringing in Edwin Encarnacion, which I talked about last week, which I thought was just an embarrassment of riches as the Yankees already have, but to bring him in the mix, I thought, why? I get that they're probably trying to shield him from going to either Boston or Tampa, but the Yankees, they're bigger than that. Yankees shouldn't worry about a guy as good as Encarnacion is to go to another team knowing that they have right-handed power unlike any other team in baseball just to add another guy into the mix. If he was left-handed, I could totally understand that. But to me, I disagree with the move. But hey, he's already he's gotten off to a pretty slow start, but he did it on a home run in his second game as a Yankee. And you would think down the stretch he's going to certainly produce, and why not? The guys hit the most home runs in this decade amongst any active player. So you got to give it up to him. And then with the game on Wednesday, what I mean, what could you say? They just blew him out of the gate. Blake Snell didn't even have a chance. And Snell, as we all know, was a is the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner. He made it, what, a third of an inning? What was his stats? Third of an inning, Gary Sanchez teed off a three-run homer on him. He gave up three more runs before he left the game, and there was no way that the Rays were going to dig out of that, and they lose 12-1. to And then the Yankees with the Astros coming to town, and it was interesting team reversal, not necessarily of a role reversal, but when the Yankees went down to Houston in April, remember, they had nobody in their lineup, whether it was the aforementioned Judge and Stanton, we know about CeCe, and a lot of the other players that weren't part of the mix there in late April. And now here it is, late June, and you have no Carlos Correa, you have no George Springer, and that showed when you look at the, throughout the course of the weekend. Now the young kid, Jordan Alvarez, hit a couple home runs and showed how impressive he is, and certainly 
provides more depth and length to that lineup. But with the Yankees powering through this American League, four more home runs there behind CEC's, what, 250th win there on Thursday night. They get Aaron Judge back on Friday where the Yankees cruise again. Stanton finally chips in with four RBIs. And the Yankee fans are hot stuff. And I get a lot of them are probably the 25-year-olds that don't know their ass from their elbow. But I get that Stanton was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. And after the second strikeout, they booed him. Give me a break. And I get that he's going to be the whipping boy on this Yankee team, especially if he doesn't come through in the clutch. But to me, it's just unfair. Now, granted, you got to take a grain of salt with that because it is true how Stanton in his first year as a Yankee, it seemed that a lot of his big hits or big runs were with leads. You know, if the Yankees were up 7-2, he hits a two-run home and make a 9-2. You look at the wild card game against Oakland, which was pretty much the icing on the cake when he hit that home run. I believe the score was 7-2 at the time, or 7-1, whatever it was. And then we know what happened in that ninth inning against the Red Sox there in game four, the ALDS, where he struck out with first and second, nobody out. And... It's sad, but that's how the Yankee fans are going to treat this player for as long as he's here. And chances are he may be here for the rest of this contract, which is another eight years, I might add. But he had four RBIs, 7-5, Yankees plugged away, back and forth. And then yesterday, Jay Happ certainly didn't show up. Altuve teed off on a home run. And then Tyler, what is it, Tyler? I was going to say Tyler Wade, who was the former Yankee. It's not Tyler Wade, it's Tyler White. First baseman, it's a grand slam, 6 nothing. Before you know it, it's 9 nothing. Yankees did tack on some runs there at the bottom of the fifth, I believe it was. But the Astros were able to salvage the final game of the four-game series and behind Justin Verlander. And now here you are, as I said, at 48-29, and 29, or 49-28, excuse me, I got my numbers mixed up. If you're a Yankee fan, you're certainly feeling good, you're certainly happy, but there are some Yankee fans out there, and I'm not going to say you know who they are, or I know who they are, But it's the entitled bandwagon. And what I mean by bandwagon is that they've been on this train from 96 on. That look at this Yankee team and say to themselves that because they're in first place, they're not looking up at the Red Sox as they were last year, and everybody's getting healthy, that the first thing they're thinking about is already printing up the World Series tickets. All right, we all know that there's a lot of baseball to be played between now and then. And Mike Lupica in his column yesterday, the Daily News, said it best. The ring's the thing, people. They could go on and win 110 games. They could pull a 98 Yankees and win 114 games. But as we all know, as I like to say, don't mean a thing if you ain't got that ring. And that's what it boils down to. We all know the Yankees, season, the Yankees when they play, their seasons are based on October, not April through September. So for those out there who are kind of looking at this season or this team and saying, oh, well, look at what we've gone through so far this this early part of the year with the injuries and we're still in first place. We're still this, we're still that. And those are all facts. But it doesn't mean that, you know, banner number 28 is going to be up the flagpole come October 1st. And that goes to my Braves fans. Believe it or not, I do know a Brave fan. He actually, yeah, I'm going to put him out there. I'm not going to say his name. Well, you know, what the heck? He doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. But with that being said, the guy I work with, D, he's a huge Brave fan, always talking about the minor leagues. Oh, we have the best minor league in baseball, so on and so forth. I said, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And it's true. I mean, the Braves are certainly 
stockpiling players and loaded, et cetera. But let's face it, if they don't produce in October and if they don't get the crown at the end of the year, it doesn't make a difference. You could talk about, oh, we were young last year. We weren't able to beat the Dodgers. Dodgers were much better. All right. But still, as good as the Braves are and as the young town that they have, so on and so forth, they could remember the 90s. And granted, they won the World Series in 95, but they could go 14 straight division titles, which is an accomplishment that no one will ever see ever again. But to come out with that with one World Series, eh. to me, it, it almost overshadows the one World Series victory, if you can believe that. I mean, it's incredible, but... Be that as it may. So Yankee fans, they need to just savor this. We're in late June. Let's not start going up the Canyon of Heroes just yet. Okay? And I understand I may be throwing a little bit of cold water on them right now. But you know what? You got to ease back a little bit. So that's just my advice to Yankee fans right now. And I get that, you know, they feel entitled. And, uh, you know, we're the Yankees. And, of course, we're in this town with the Mets. And we're going to get to them in a second. You know, they're going to look at it and just laugh. But that's fine. <clears throat> because, you know, I'm the first one to crack on my team. So, and I've never got back, gone back and forth with barbs with, and I learned that lesson a long time ago. Because, uh-uh. I, I'm just going to get frustrated. It's going to be a losing effort. And people know that if I'm not going to be accountable and hold myself attainable for what my team does, then nobody's going to take me seriously. So with that said, let's get to the Mets. What a week that they have. They embarked on this 11-game road trip, and I said last week that if they come out with four wins, if they go four and seven, as bad as that is, it would almost be a slight minor moral victory. Well, guess what? They could have got to four yesterday. And we're going to get to everything that happened there with Seth Lugo, Mickey Calloway, the post game, all of that. But leading up to that, other than Jake's Brilliant performance a la 2018 in that second game in Atlanta. Obviously, they fizzled out in a dirty south. Losing two or three. The only saving grace was that game with DeGrom pitched. You know, Wheeler didn't have it there in the opening game. You know, he gave up the five runs. Although he bounced back nice against the Cubs. We'll get to that in a second. But the... News came down Thursday where the Mets fired the pitching coach, Dave Island, and their bullpen coach, Chuck Hernandez, and they replaced them with a guy named Phil Regan. Now, Phil Regan is 82 years old. He's been part of the Met family for quite some time and, in fact, was partly responsible for grooming the Jacob DeGroms, the Noah Syndergaards, and the Zach Wheelers on this team. And, of course, everybody, and I got to get to my guy, Larry, on Facebook, I, I never responded to his post where he says, oh, what's going to happen here? A guy 82 years old, he's going to take 20 minutes just to walk to the mound. So I hear all the jokes. But guess what? To me, it's not even about Phil Regan. And he's easy to pick on. He's an easy target. And when I first heard that, I'm like, what? But then I thought to myself, I said, wait a minute. This isn't Phil Regan's fault. This isn't on him to, I'm sure he didn't bang the drum or jump up and down or sang and danced to try to get his way to the major leagues to become a pitching coach for the New York Mets? No, this is all on the GM. Yes, that guy, Brody Van Wagenen, the politician, who I railed against last week. He was my, one of my zeros of the week, or my zero of the week. And it makes no difference, you know, difference this week because here we are at this stage of the game where the Mets bullpen, as we've talked about, ad infinitum and ad nauseum, 
how brutal they are. And obviously it's responsibility of the GM, so it all falls on him. So by whacking somebody, and I get that he wasn't going to whack the manager, they gave him that vote of confidence, which for me is nonsense. But they dismissed both Hernandez, a bullpen coach, big whoop, and Dave Island, who became the fall guy because I guess somebody had to be the one to take the execution if it wasn't going to be the manager. And you're certainly not going to do that with the players. And to me, I said to myself at the time, I said, why are they filing Dave Island? As if this pitching staff is going to get better with Phil Regan being in the mix. So Brody obviously needs to wake up if he hasn't so far in his two and a half month slumber to know that this team cannot pitch his way, especially in the bullpen, out of a wet paper bag. As evidenced, let's get right to it. So they go to Wrigley. They bring in Walker Lockett, who I get that they got to bring up somebody. They got to bring up a new face, a different face, different arm, whatever it is. So he goes through the first two innings perfect. You're thinking it's on 20-something pitches. He's thinking, wait a second, this can't be possible. But then, of course, it all unfolds. A six-run third inning. We understand Alonzo's heroics, which, of course, we'll all touch on. But they're down 6-3. They end up losing 7-4. All right, so so much for the Walker Lockett experiment. Then Friday, Jeff McNeil is the hero. He hits the home run there and also the game-winning hit to secure a 5-4 victory. Then Saturday, behind Zach Wheeler, seven innings, one run, five-hit ball, and Pete Alonso again, more heroics, hitting a home run to tie Daryl Strawberry's club record, home runs by a rookie. And 10-2, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, they could actually go for three straight against the Cubs, a team where they've certainly had their struggles with over the years, minus the 2015 NLCS. And then on top of that, to finally win a road series since April 1st through 3rd down in Miami? Well, with Jake on the mound, you're thinking to yourself, wait, this could possibly happen. Sure enough, Jake, six innings, and he was his tournament at bat was in the seventh inning. He gets pinch hit for by Echeverria. He was at 97 pitches. Now, Mickey Calloway has pushed these starters well past 115 pitches over the last couple of weeks. Why? Because the bullpen has been an atrocity. So when he pinch hit for DeGrom in that spot, I thought to myself, I said, listen, if he was at 105, I'd say, all right, I can understand why he's going to pull him. But 97, give him another inning, Lugo the eighth, Diaz the ninth, and hopefully he'll go home. What happens? He pinch hits for him. Lugo comes in, he's behind 3-0 on everybody it seems, but obviously the 8th inning is what's going to be spotlighted because of what happened there. Baez takes him deep, everybody's thinking we should get Diaz in for a 5-out save or even a 6-out save for that matter, God forbid. But that's not the case. And then the Mets go quietly in the ninth, and they lose 5-3. But that's just the start of it. Because then in the postgame, Tim Healy a beat reporter for Newsday approaches Callaway with the questions about why not bring in Diaz? Why did you extend Lugo? Lugo said that he was he didn't have it today. Add it left and right. I guess Callaway, I didn't hear the press conference, but he must have increasingly got frustrated. And at the very end of the press conference, Callaway says to, I guess, everybody, whatever, you know, that's it, I'm done, good night. Healy says, see you tomorrow. And then for whatever reason, Callaway says, get this mf out of here. To where Jason Vargas has to butt in 
And even though no punches were thrown or there was a report that Vargas charged at Healy, which was erroneous, but then you got to hear to the extent where Vargas did approach Healy and said, I'll knock you the F out. Where Jeff Wilpon actually had to call the reporter to apologize. The Mets had issued a statement saying that we informed to express our disappointment in our staff. It's going to be handled internally, yada, 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 etc. So now it makes me think as they head to Philadelphia, and that's another team that's reeling as they lost three at home to the Marlins. But as they head to Philadelphia, you kind of wonder, with everything that happened yesterday with Callaway and the postgame, and he handled that terribly. Let's face it. Even if Healy did come out and say, see you tomorrow, and for whatever the reason, Callaway took umbrage to that, I guess almost as a knock of sarcasm. So maybe that flicked the switch and he turned at him and it's like, oh, what do you mean by see you tomorrow? Like almost as if Healy was trying to threaten Callaway. And I get we're all human. Anybody could snap at any given time. And obviously I wasn't there. I didn't hear the press conference. I don't know what went down as far as the audio portion of it. But you know what? Callaway still has to turn the other cheek and walk away. Even at see you tomorrow or however it was deemed or however it was said, you just got to bite that lip and walk away. And is this Callaway's last gasp right here? It possibly could be. Now, they're going to Philadelphia against a team that has lost seven in a row, three to the Marlins, and who knows what happens here. If they lose three out of four before coming home to face Atlanta and then the Yankees next week for two games and then Philly the following week right before the All-Star break, this could be it. As I believe he is, he's walking the plank, but he's probably halfway past where he should be right now, and he's getting toward the end. And if this team does not put up a strong performance in Philadelphia, who knows if he makes it back to New York with a job. Because how much more ridicule, how much more abuse, how much more whatever you want to call it at this point that this team could take at 37 and 41 knowing that their season is on the brink, this road trip, which could actually, believe it or not, and I was shocked to say this, they could actually go over 500 with a 3 for 4 over the next four games. <laughs> Did I see that happening? No. Because now I can see the Phillies seven in a row. They're probably thinking, all right, let's rally the troops. Let's knock the Mets out here, and away we go. Because a team that's lost seven in a row, they're due to bounce back. And I will say this, Met fans, we are closer to the Marlins in last place than we are to the Braves in first place. And the Nationals have overtaken us in the division. Now, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Ah, it doesn't mean anything. Who cares? You know, Who's in third place, fourth place, whatever. But we are closer to the bottom than we are to the top. And this is a great opportunity for this team to somehow, way, get their act together and go up against a wounded Philly team that certainly has underachieved. Their prize free agent has beyond underachieved. And hopefully they could somehow, way get to, and that's not saying a lot by any stretch, but they could go out and win the series. Then is that going to say something for the rest of the year? No, but it could say something about the makeup of this team if they do so. Because if they go out here with a whimper, losing three out of four and getting embarrassed in the process, then, like I said, Callaway doesn't make the trip up on 95 to City Field for Friday night against the Atlanta Braves. And that's where your Mets season is at. I wouldn't be surprised if Callaway 
Who knows? As I'm recording this right now, he could be, the axe already could have fallen. I doubt it, but. And then one last thing. I got to say this before we get into other uh, baseball news and notes. So two things. One about Alonzo. I just hope this kid stays healthy the rest of the year because I could almost sense that watch him, teams are going to pitch him differently and he's going to get plunked and he's going to you know break a wrist or finger or whatever. He's on the shelf four to six weeks because what we're going to see from this guy the rest of the year is going to be the story of the Mets from here to September. Because other than that, what is there to watch? Jake is not going to have that dominant 2018, which obviously was must-see TV if you're a Mets fan for 2018. Jeff McNeil, he's another... Wonderful surprise. And, of course, you want to see him game in and game out. But you know what type of player he is. He's just a slasher. He's a gamer. He's somebody that you certainly want to model your game after. But, again, it's not like Alonzo where his home run prowess and his presence in the lineup is certainly going to overtake what McNeil does, not necessarily at the dish, but also in the field. So when you have a guy like Alonzo who's having this record-setting rookie season and it's about to obliterate, upon him being healthy, of course, the National League home run rookie record, which is Cody Bellinger, 39, or the Major League home run rookie record, which is 49, set by Mark McGuire in 1987, what you're seeing here is just not only just brilliance, but just utter dominance where everybody clamored for this guy to come up last year, including myself. Mets had a lost season. Why not bring this guy up? And we understand he was a defensive liability, and I believe that was their quote-unquote excuse. But all right, be that as it may, fine. But now here they are, 70, what is it, 78 games in, and he's hit 27 home runs. He's on a pace to hit 55 home runs. 55. So I just hope the kid stays healthy and... Uh, he's just putting up remarkable numbers. I mean, what could you say about him? And then the other thing is, just to go back to McNeil, and this isn't on him, but this is on the manager and possibly on the GM. Jeff McNeil, the guy's been raking left and right. He had a big series. We talked about the game Friday. He's actually had two hits in his last five games. Batting 341. Why is he not in the lineup yesterday? Oh, it's a left-hander, Cole Hamels. So what? I don't care if that was Steve Carlton. This guy's got to play. I'm so sick and tired of the analytics. I'm sick and tired. Oh, but he's played five games. He needs a rest. And same for Conforto. And I get that he too, going up against the left-hander. But still, you know, this isn't Cole Hamels 2008. And I'm not trying to say Cole Hamels is past his prime or Cole Hamels is done by any stretch of the imagination because he's certainly pitching well. And he's keeping the Cubs afloat there in the NL Central. But give me a break. These stupid analytics are just ruining the game. And when you got a you know, when you have a hot hitter like McNeil, you got to ride the sucker out. You'll know when to give him a rest. Not to say he has to go 0 for 20, then sit him down, but still. Against a Cub team where you've beaten him twice, they're looking for a third straight win. Team that has not won a road series since forever, like I mentioned. And what does he do? He sits down. And it's not just typical Mets. It's not just typical Brody Van Wagenen. It is just baseball in 2019. And I get I got to live with it. I understand, but I can't stand it. Brutal. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, Rest of baseball, we talked about that. And then, of course, like I said, the Mets have Atlanta and the Yankees next week. So, Uh, yeah, we talked about the Phillies. They're reeling. 
going to be interesting to see how they respond off of losing three straight at home to the Marlins. And this is going to be a very true test for them, just as well as for the Mets here. So these four games are certainly going to be scrutinized, especially by me, but also for the fans down the Turnpike in Philadelphia. Obviously, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, other news and notes here, baseball, Dallas Keuchel, who had his first start against the Nationals, pitched okay, three runs, five innings. I believe he threw 93 pitches or 89 pitches. He did end up losing, didn't walk a batter, struck out three uh, in his first game, and the Mets will not see him. Uh, right now, let me see, he pitched Friday, then he'll pitch Wednesday. Yeah, so the Mets won't see him this weekend starting against them. So uh, I'm sure we'll probably see him somewhere down the road. It's actually Atlanta's first time coming into New York this season. So with the Mets already playing twice in Atlanta. The big Albert Pujols return to St. Louis was the story of the weekend. Standing O's left and right. He actually hit a home run there on Saturday. Uh, and to think, he had left there after the 2011 season, winning a World Series, was a conquering hero with two World Series and all the MVPs under his belt. And it was his first time back as a player in St. Louis since he signed with the Angels. And, I mean, they greeted him the way they should. The guy was is a Hall of Fame, no doubt, first ballot. Please, yeah, you don't even blink an eye when you hear Albert Pujols and Hall of Fame in the same sentence. Uh, in the same sentence. So, good to see that. That was a long time coming. As the, I don't even know if the Cardinals uh, won two out of those three games. I think they, actually the Angels did. I got to look that up. But that was good for uh, Albert and his return to St. Louis. And then the story about the Rays and the Expos, or really I should say the Expos. I think of the Expos when I think of Montreal. But what is this nonsense you hear about the Rays playing partial home games in Tampa and then in Montreal. I understand if you're Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, and as frustrating as it's been over the years to try to get a stadium, to try to get the land, everything, I'm sure they're looking to get it publicly funded, which that's going to be tricky, as that's been, I believe, vetoed several times. And right now, to try to get a stadium secure there, it's it seems like it's been impossible and going on for years, that the answer or the panacea if you will would be to have the team play part of its games in Montreal uh, then just move the whole team to Montreal and we understand they don't have a stadium up there they still have the old Olympic stadium but come on that's not suitable for baseball as we all know and they're going to need time to build a stadium if that would be the case if they were to somehow relocate and I don't even think Stu Sturber wants to do that he wants to keep this team down in Tampa well I hate to say it Stu you're going to have to get it privately funded money out of your pocket and whomever else. And you could probably build a, it's going to be over a billion because it's going to have to be enclosed with a retractable roof. But build a 32,000-seat stadium, all the amenities, the luxury boxes, et cetera, and that's it. Now, of course, that's easy for me to say because I don't have the money and I don't own a team. But if he wants to keep the team there, why can't they do it privately? I get that they're low in attendance. Their revenue is, we know, who knows how much they're making annually as, a, as an organization. Probably not much, so they have to more than likely go the publicly funded route, which is tough. But at the same time, let's face it, if you're drawing flies to that ballpark, which we all know is an eyesore, relocating probably wouldn't be the worst thing. So, listen, I don't know what to say about that, but when I heard the news coming through that they actually 
may play part games, partial games in Tampa and then Montreal. That's, I mean, that's insane. I mean, why even bother at that point? To me, it's just it's just mindless, it's clueless, it's all those things. Because how I look at it is, is that you just need to have one team play in one location. That's it. Uh, I, am I wrong in that? I mean, I don't, I don't get that. So anyway, so that's what you have there with the race situation. As far as the rest of baseball is concerned, as I uh, go through the landscape, we've talked about the AL East, of course. And the Yankees, I, let me throw this in the mix. I didn't mention this earlier in my Yankee segment. Those games in London, why? Why, why, why? Is MLB trying to broaden the game overseas? I think it's a waste. Just like I think it's a waste that the NFL does it. I get it's part of the fabric of the NFL schedule now, especially with Jacksonville going there every year. But to me, it's just a waste of time. The Red Sox, who have not seen the Yankees in their building yet, they're going to have to wait till next month to do so. And they'll have two four-game series in Fenway. But you have the two games in London, which, like I said, is a waste of time. I can't stand it. It may help us if you're a Met fan because, remember, when the Yankees come back from London and they'll leave after the game on Wednesday to have a getaway day game uh, Wednesday 105 against Toronto. So they'll go to London and then they come back after the game Sunday afternoon, which will be Sunday night in London. And then they'll play the Mets two days later. So who knows if they're going to be jet lagged? Who knows how that's going to boil down or what the, how that's going to unfold for the Yankees. But still, to have these games over there, why? Uh, it makes no sense. And if this is going to be some sort of experiment that they're going to do a la the NFL, then I get the international games, especially when they had in Japan at the beginning of the year. We had Seattle and Oakland do that. The Mets did that in 2000 as well as the Yankees the year that they uh, uh, imported a one Hideki Matsui. If you want to do those you know, those games in Japan, I understand that because we know that there's a Japanese contingent of players in the major leagues. But when you're going to have this in the middle of the season to go to some place where they could care less about baseball, it goes back to what I said about the Rays in Montreal. Why bother? But that's what you have there. Uh, in the Central, Cleveland's actually playing a little bit better, but they're still eight games behind the division-leading Minnesota Twins. And we talked about Houston. Now, Houston, before winning yesterday, they've actually lost seven in a row. They got swept in Cincinnati, which was a surprise. And Cincinnati, of course, has played better. We'll get to the NL Central in a minute. But Houston, with even the Rangers and Oakland playing better, they still have a comfortable six-and-a-half game lead over Texas and then eight over Oakland in the division. National League, the Braves are getting ready to take off and hide as their six and a half games, especially with Phillies free fall. And we've talked about the Mets, obviously, and uh, Nationals have certainly, they've just hung around. They haven't really done much, although they've leapfrogged over the Mets in the division. Now, the NL Central is very interesting because we've talked about it from time to time where the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals were all separated by just a handful of games, and it's pretty much the same here on June 24th. Those three teams are separated by two games. Milwaukee a half game behind the Cubs. And then the Cardinals there a game and a half behind the Brewers. But then you have Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Both teams who are both under 500, but certainly trying to stake a claim considering that the whole division is separated by five and a half games. And the Pirates just came off of a sweep themselves over the Padres, who the Padres have certainly have hit in the road going backwards. But the Pirates and also the Reds feel like they're in it considering only five and a half games back and good for them. 
even with both teams being four games under 500. And then out west, what can you say about the Dodgers, man? If this isn't their year to win the World Series, then when is it going to be? If it's not Cody Bellinger and his MVP candidacy, which is going to be, or do you hear about, uh, or have heard about for quite some time, whether it's going to be him or Kristen Yelich. And then now, what happened this weekend? Well, they outdid themselves by not only sweeping the Colorado Rockies, who were in the division behind them going into the series 10 games ahead, but they walk off three straight games. Get ready. Three straight walk-offs, three home runs, and hit by three rookies. Now, you couldn't make that up even if you tried. So I repeat. Three walk-off victories, all in the ninth inning, all in home runs, all by rookies. Uh, listen, this Dodger team, best record in baseball, I think they're 54-25. and 25. All you could say about them is, if they don't win it this year, then when will they win it? They've only been to the World Series the last two years, and here they are riding high, cruising. I mean, they're going to roller skate into another division championship, and I believe they won six in a row. And now, as they pretty much... I'm not going to say to put the icing on the division, but if this a line of demarcation between now and the end of the year as to what was the day that the unofficially the Dodgers won the NL West, just look at this past weekend. And they are just on another planet right now. And I get you if you're in Milwaukee or if you're a Yankee fan or if you're in the Bronx or even if you're in Houston, you may think otherwise, especially in Houston. We beat this team two years ago. But again, that's two years ago. It's 2019. It's a new year. And like I said, people, we have a lot of baseball to get into throughout the course of the summer. As I said, in that sports dead zone, despite any craziness as far as the free agency is concerned, we're going to be touching upon a lot of what's going on in the diamond. And that's what we got here in the first 40 minutes of this program. So, all right. So let's move and turn our attention now to the NBA where we had the draft last week. And the draft, which you saw especially from the top few picks, whether you're Zion Williamson, John Morant, uh, R.J. Barrett, especially those three, which were the top three picks of the draft. What you saw there was just a lot of emotion, a lot of relief because everything leading up to the draft and where you're going to be drafted and we all know who's going to be number one and we pretty much knew who were going to be the top few picks in this draft. But just to see the emotion and the elation and just being there with their parents uh, was unlike anything I've seen. Now, I haven't watched any every NBA draft, but the one draft I recall where you know tears were streaming down players' faces was Stephon Marbury when he got drafted in 96, you know, 20 years. and But to see Zion up there and just tears just rolling down his eyes and really falling out of his eyes as his head is tilt, you know, tilted down, just an amazing display of the expression and emotion, which was good to see because, as we all know, especially these superstar players, they're all... To a certain extent, robots, they got to say the right thing is in the press. They got to, and we get that. You know, a lot of this stuff has to be calculated to a certain extent. But just to see that was certainly refreshing. And we know who were the top picks. And like I say time and time again, I don't like getting getting into losers and the winners of the draft. We understand you got to play this out and everything has to be instant reaction. We get that. Because a lot of people are going to look at what New Orleans did, trading their fourth pick back. And getting more assets down the road. And if you're other teams, you know, whether you're the Celtics, which I'm going to get to in a second, you know, there's teams that, of course, you're going to look at from the surface and say, oh, wow, this team did a great job and then this team did not do so well. Well, all I'm going to say is, as far as the 
Celtics are concerned. Now, the news broke early in the week that Al Horford was going to opt out of his last deal of his contract. The Celtics, from their understanding, thought that they would be able to bring a deal to the table. But that doesn't look... Obviously, it's not going to happen. Because, and I'll be, face it, as important as Al Horford is to that team and what he does, and granted that he makes more than what his talent and his what's on the score sheet is concerned, but he makes up for that in leadership and heart. He's more blood and guts than heart and soul. Uh, there's some heart in there, but he's a blood and guts guy. But here we are now, him leaving, there's no way I would spend another four, 410 on him. I wouldn't do it. I believe he's, what, 31 years old. He's played a lot of basketball in his career. I understand he doesn't have a lot of long postseasons if you're a player on the Cavs or the Golden State Warriors of recent vintage where he has a lot of miles, but he still has a lot of miles considering that you know going back to college, he won back-to-back championships then as a player at Florida. But if you're the Celtics right now and how you're looking at as I said from the top, last year this time, you're thinking, oh, with a healthy Kyrie and Gordon Hayward 100% and bringing back all the guys that were instrumental in that playoff run, what they could do, well, that's come and gone. It's now up in smoke. We know Kyrie is gone for all intents and purposes. Same with Al Horford. And now pretty much you have $27 million under the cap. You do have Gordon Hayward. We know about the young players on the team. What is Danny Ainge going to do from here? Now, here's my issue with Ainge. One of the things he did in this draft, now I understand he drafted this Romeo Langford, who a lot of people thought, from what I heard, that if there was going to be a guy that's overrated in this draft, you know, you always have your sleepers, but the guy that's going to be the overrated player on this draft, a lot of people thought Romeo Langford was, including John Rothstein, who's Mr. College Basketball. I heard an interview where he said, yeah, that guy although has the ability, but uh-uh. A lot of people are going to think that they're going to be more intrigued. He's like the girl with the curl. When you look at him, he's cute and adorable, but the inside he's just is not what you see. So knowing that they drafted him and then they traded Aaron Baines where they swap picks with Phoenix and they'll get Phoenix's number one pick through Milwaukee and I believe that's from the Eric Bledsoe deal. For Ains to do that now, that's shrewd because you're thinking, wow. Now, it's, of course, lottery protected one through seven for 2020, but then after that, they'll get their unprotected number one pick. But Danny, haven't you stockpiled all these picks? What has it gotten you? Because the Jalen Browns, Jason Tatum's, those are no-brainers. You had those number three overall. Now you're getting these picks in the teens. I understand the Sacramento pick didn't pan out the way, you, you know, the way we all hoped it would, whether it be ranked you know, two through five. So... Here you are now stockpiling more picks, but for what? That phase is over. You were able to fleece the, I was going to say New Jersey. You were able to fleece the Brooklyn Nets and were able to get the key components, the key pieces, a la Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Now it's constructing the rest of the team through free agency or through trades. Now, are you looking to trade some of these picks? Are you looking to trade that Phoenix pick? Are you looking to whatever it is? That's the next step because to me, having a treasure trove of number one picks that are going to fall in the teens or lower are useless. 
And people could say, oh, Jay Reels would never know. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo was drafted 15th. Kawhi Leonard was 14th. Paul George this. Draymond Green was second round. Yeah, we get all that. But yeah, but that doesn't happen every year. That happens once every three or four years where that type of player comes up and boom. And get it. I get that in 2011 was Leonard and 2013 was Giannis. But since then, name me the one player. All right, you want to say Donovan Mitchell. I think he was 13th. But still, it's not like every year there's that guy that comes out that's going to be a lock stock number one rookie of the year candidate picked in the teens or in the, or in the 20s. So for Ains to do this, and listen, he I'm not a GM and I'm far from being a vice president of basketball operations. I get that. But him by making this trade, it's almost as if, okay, you're doing this for what reason? And I didn't hear any of his post game where he was going to say, hey, well, we're doing this because of our future or whatever. And granted that this team is still young. You know, Hayward is probably the oldest guy on this team. And you're hoping that, you know, Yabuselli will be able to mature Semi Ozile. To me, Ozile is just a one dimensional. He's more of a defensive player. Uh, obviously, he has to work a lot more on his offense to be of any stature in this league. But now with $27 million under the cap, and I get that a lot of these free agents aren't going to go to Boston considering this is a young team now. Right, that if Kyrie was still there, who knows whether they're going to trade for Anthony Davis or whether, you know, all those rumors, but those are gone. So it's almost as if they got to start over. But what are you doing? My question to Danny Ainge is, what are you doing? Doing? Are you retooling or reloading? Retooling is just shuffling the chairs on the deck. Okay? And that's fine if that's what you're going to do. But at the same time, this team needs to more reload. And I get that you're not going to get Kawhi Leonard. He's not going to walk through that door. And we know Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. They're right. They're not going to walk through that door. But he's going to have to be a little shrewd here to try to see if he could get players that could take this team to the next level. Because right now, this team is going to be a sixth seed in the division, you know, in the conference. And we'll be lucky to get into a second round. And I don't want to hear all the experience of the last two years. No, that's not going to cut it. Because if that's the case, then Jason Tatum has to make a quantum leap next year as far as his production is concerned. Same for Jalen Brown. Who Jalen Brown was actually better than Jason Tatum last year. So, it's going to be interesting what Ainge is going to do here. And to me, I think he needs to more reload than retool. How is he going to do it? I don't know. But it has to be done. If they want to have any semblance of a team that's going to have championship aspirations in the Eastern Conference or, of course, in the league. So that's the deal there with the Celtics. As far as any NBA stuff, we're going to know next week at this time who's going to sign where. That frenzy is going to kick off. So next week's pod should be fascinating. But I think the instead of midnight on the 1st, they may be starting at around 4. But as you know, the rumors are just going to be running rampant and we'll choke on that for God knows how long. But uh, that's the beauty of free agency here. Everybody's going to look forward to who's going to go where and it's going to be, even with the Celtics, what's going to happen with Ainge. And I hope they're in the war room with their sleeves rolled up, ready to go because uh, there are some teams that are going to be ahead of them in the conference and uh, it's going to be a long way back to the top if they don't do anything about it soon. Uh, speaking of draft, the NHL, the Rangers and Devils will have a rivalry. I'm sure it's going to be for at least a decade where Jack Hughes and Capo Capo, I know I'm saying his name wrong, uh, the top two players, Hughes, of course, drafted by the Devils, and Capo is the number one pick there, number two overall by the Rangers. As I said last week, it's going to be 
on a much lesser scale because hockey obviously is it's big in some circles, but obviously it's not football, it's not baseball. But that draft is going to be comparable to the 2018 NFL draft where Saquon Barkley and Sam Darnold, now they're both two offensive players, so that's a good thing. But again, they're going to be linked forever because if Barkley comes out and is a Hall of Fame running back and Darnold becomes a bust, or vice versa, where Darnold delivers his team a Super Bowl or two, dare I say, Jet fans, and then Barkley is a guy where he's electric, he's exciting, but he either leaves by free agency after his fourth year or worse, gets hurt, and it's just going to be crippled with injuries for the rest of his career, God forbid. That Obviously, that draft is going to be looked upon differently years down on the road. That's why we don't look at these drafts and give them automatic grades and who are the winners and losers because you got to see how this unfolds. Same here with the Rangers and Devils. We'll certainly take a look down the road as we're just getting started with these two guys. Capo is more of a bigger presence on the ice at 6'2", where Hughes is much more of a skater, centerman. Uh, I don't know anything. I've never seen any of these guys play. I don't know, but just from that standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see how both of these players thrive, not only here in New York, New Jersey, when the teams play against one another, what impact they're going to have, not only just for their teams, but for the rivalry, but also for their organizations, because these are obviously the top two picks. So we certainly have plenty of time to chew on that as their careers will pretty much take off come the start of training camp in September. Now, as far as the Devils are concerned, they certainly weren't finished. They traded for P.K. Subban, the former Montreal Canadian defenseman and now formerly of the Nashville Predators. It was pretty much a salary dump for the Preds as they were pretty much capped out and they were able to get some relief there with the cap as the Devils will take on. I believe they just traded second-round picks. If I'm not mistaken, I think one this year, one next year. So the Devils bring back a top-flight defenseman, obviously a an all-world defenseman. Now, he's 31 years old. I haven't seen him play in recent years. I'm sure he's still effective. He's still a Norris Trophy-type backliner, but still... At 31 years old, you're hoping that you get a lot of good over the next two years because I don't know what the contract status is. I'd have to take a look at it. I don't know if he has a couple years left. But still, you're now looking at the back nine of his career and you're only hoping that as your team starts to grow and improve and get to that level. Now, remember, this team made the playoffs two years ago. They had Taylor Hall, who was an MVP, the former Edmonton Oiler. So they think that now bringing in Hughes, especially with the number one pick of a couple years ago, the number one overall, that is, that they could hopefully piece this back to where they could get themselves back in the Eastern Conference mix as far as the postseason is concerned. As we all know, you certainly don't need home ice or need the best record in the conference or let alone the whole league to kind of get back to Stanley Cup aspirations. All you got to do is get in a dance and you just hope that you will tangle much longer than you will uh, be sitting on the sidelines. And then, of course, they had the awards last week where Nikita Kucherov was your MVP. Barry Trotz was your coach of the year, New York Islanders. And in fact, tonight is the NBA awards where you'll get to see who the NBA MVP is, which I think is kind of a joke to have this afterwards. I get that it's you know on TNT and the whole ceremony and what have you, but I don't know. I, I just like the, all the awards being announced during the playoffs. You know, now that basketball's over, you're kind of looking towards a free agency, and then to have this award ceremony, Papa's like, huh, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. Tonight is, oh, okay. It's almost an, it's an afterthought. So, 
again, I guess that's maybe for the younger fan. That's for the 18 to 24 year old, or maybe even the 16 year old to tune in to just to get one last glimpse of their uh, NBA heroes. I guess that's what it is. But anyway, so you got that tonight if you're uh, if that uh, tickles your fancy, so to speak. Uh, so that's what we got here, people. Let's see. Just looking at the uh, landscape here. Yeah, that pretty much will do it for this week on the podcast. But of course, we have my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week to whomever in the ACC decided that it was right or feel as it was time for UConn to be headed back to the Big East for the year 2020. Not for this year, 19 and 20. I guess they got to go through the approval, the paperwork, etc. But to have UConn back in the Big East is going to be enormous. Because ever since UConn left, you didn't hear about them. You didn't care about them. You didn't know about them. Now, granted that they've fallen on hard times after they won that national championship in 2014. Kevin Ali, Shabazz Napier, etc. They've certainly have not even been on anyone's radar. But back in the Big East, with Georgetown, with Villanova, with St. John's, etc., it's certainly going to be a welcome addition back to the Big East. So whomever was behind that, hero to you and shout out to you, my guys, to have them come back in the mix. You have to wait another year, but still, just knowing that they're on their way back, that's a big plus. So that's my hero of the week. And my zero of the week were the people that got arrested. I can believe there were four that got arrested and some people got injured in the aftermath or during the championship parade for the Toronto Raptors. Shots fired off, shootings, injured people. Everybody's supposed to be there for one common goal is to celebrate a NBA championship, the parade, the ceremony, the trophy, the MVP, etc. Why are people out there just trying to and we get it. There's gonna maybe be fights, there may be arrests, we get but for people to you know start shooting off guns, come on. Uh, you can't even go to an event and enjoy the first ever championship in this franchise's history without having any type of skirmish or any type of just bad news. And uh, I get that there's always going to be bad apples in every tree, but come on, people. You know, for those four people, whomever they may be, I hope that whomever was injured that they're doing okay, but for to put a dampen or to damper a championship celebratory parade by having some bozos, go ahead and do that. They're my zeros of the week. So there you have it. And if you like this podcast or if you said, eh, you know what, I'll give this J Reels another chance or whatever, if this is your first time tuning in, again, I thank you very much for downloading and listening to what it is I have to say about sports. But please, I say this each and every week since I'm uh, an independent entity here. Not only do I write, host, produce, and edit this podcast, but your participation is, again, Sincerely needed just by going to wherever you sign up for your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary. Please post a rating, leave a review. Uh, All that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this uh, podcast amongst the plethora of sports podcasts that are out there. And hopefully with that traffic of positivity, whatever it is that you happen to rate me, hopefully it is positive, that uh, it will just uh, streamline to have not just the visibility, but more for more increased interest with possible guests, future guests, because that's what I'm working on here behind the scenes as much as I can, because all I want to do is just not only give you my opinions, but also have the interviews where I could pick the brains of former athletes, current athletes, broadcasters, newspaper writers, columnists, etc., so I could deliver it to you guys on a weekly basis. Also, you can follow me on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram, Jay Reels, 
Twitter, JReels1, just a number, the JReels Podcast on my Facebook page, as well as an email address to JReelsPodcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, or you can hit me up with a DM, whatever you may wish, feel. I'd greatly appreciate it. Any constructive criticism will certainly, and I'm good for that, so you know what? Bring it on. I'm open, all ears, etc. as I deliver not only quality content, but of course, very informative, knowledgeable, but more so entertaining and credible sports as I go through the gamut, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, golf course, racetrack, hardwood, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the j Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>